Y'all probably remember um, earlier this year, um, uh, John McCain passed away, Senator John McCain from Arizona. Uh, I think it was in August, I think August 25th, he passed away. And uh, many of you uh, may know that he was uh, in uh, the Vietnam War and was uh, captured and was in a Vietnamese um, prison camp for quite a while and endured a, a lot of difficult things. And in 2008, um, you may also remember that he ran for president and uh, Time Magazine, um, a guy did an interview with him and asked him to share uh, about his personal journey of faith. And so he told this story about his time in Vietnam. He says, when I was a prisoner of war in Vietnam, my captors would tie my arms behind my back and then loop the rope around my neck and ankle so that my head was pulled down between my knees. I was often left like that throughout the night. But one night a guard came into my cell and he put his finger to his lips signaling for me to be quiet. And then he loosened my ropes in order to relieve my pain. The next morning when his shift ended, the guard returned and retightened the ropes, never saying a single word to me. A month or so later, on Christmas Day, I was standing in the dirt courtyard when I saw the same guard approach me. He walked up, stood next to me silently, not looking or smiling at me. Then he used his sandal foot to draw a cross in the dirt. We stood wordlessly looking at that cross, remembering the true light of Christmas, even in the darkness of that Vietnamese prison camp. And I... I think about that story and it amazes me because in the midst of, of darkness, and I know John McCain had to um, feel that, you know, where is God? I'm serving my country. He was a believer. Why am I being tortured in this prison camp? God, why? But even in the midst of very dark places and very difficult times, God confirms that He is there that He does know what we're going through, and that, that what we're going through is not without purpose. It is trying to teach us something. And a lot of times we want to say, I don't care what you want to teach me, I don't want to know that way. I don't want to have to go through that in order to learn what you're teaching me. But a lot of times God, in those very difficult times of life, gives us hope, affirms that He is there, that He knows what suffering is, that He knows what injustice is, and that He does hear our deepest cries. And so I hope that during this Christmas season, that hopefully maybe in the midst of some of your uh, difficult times with Christmas, I know Christmas can be a lonely time for people, people that have lost someone very close to them, and go into those events that you've always gone to, and looking and realizing, oh, that's right, this year. And there's an empty chair, there's an empty seat. Those traditions that you have brought together through all the years with those certain people and them not being there, there's a, there's a sense of, of loss there. There's a sense of emptiness. And I can imagine that's difficult. But hopefully, even in the midst of that during Christmas, we're reminded of the hope and the peace and the joy and the love through God bringing Jesus into the world as a baby. And sometimes even uh, we have less than perfect circumstances with our, our families at these gatherings, don't we? You know, we say, all right, this year I'm not going to let it bother me. I'm not going to let it bother me. But they just had to say something, you know. And we kind of get worked up over those things. But again, I hope that hearing and reflecting on the story and the characters of the Christmas story have reminded us 
of how God's love is for just so wide and so deep for everybody in the world. And so today we've looked at several encounters. We've looked at Mary and Joseph. We looked at the shepherds. We've looked at uh, Zechariah um, and uh, John the Baptist's parents and, and Elizabeth and Zechariah. And we've looked at a lot of different characters. But I want us to look at another encounter that Mary and Joseph had this, um, this morning, several weeks after Jesus was born. And this encounter starts very hopeful, very confirming. It really wasn't a dark place in their life. This is a very happy time. They just had a baby. And not only they had a baby, but this baby is God's son. I mean, how much more excited can you be about life that not only do you have your first baby, but this is the son of God that's come to save the world. What, what next? What exciting, fascinating thing is going to happen next to us? We've heard the angels talk to us. Uh, Joseph has these dreams. And, you know, shepherds come up to us. We look at um, all these things that have happened to us. You know, what, what's next? What's going to happen next with this baby? So we're going to look at the Gospel of Luke today, as we have been, because Luke and Matthew are the two that we get most of the or actually all of the Gospel stories about Jesus and His birth, and even a little bit of His as being a young man. And what, what we do probably believe is that Mary... Um, that Mary um, actually was interviewed by Matthew and Luke. At some point in their lives, they sat down and said, Mary, I want to know what it was like for you and Joseph when, when you first heard about you were going to be carrying the Son of God. What was that like? How was it on that night when you had to go to Bethlehem and all that? Tell us about it. And obviously they sat down at some point, and I don't know when that was. Maybe it was, you know, uh, after. It probably was after Jesus had, had already... Uh, died on the cross and been resurrected and, and ascended back into heaven. But they had these conversations, and not only did they have these conversations, but the Holy Spirit obviously worked through that to give us the story we have about Jesus that we, we've heard about through this whole season. And that's what God wanted us to reflect on and know about. So we're going to look at um, chapter 2 again. And like I said, Jesus is probably uh, about, um, I don't know, a month and a half old at this point. And Mary and Joseph are going to bring him to the temple. They're probably still in Bethlehem. They've stayed there for a while. And they're eventually going to go back to Nazareth and Galilee. And of course they're going to have to escape to Egypt as we read about. Because King Herod wants to kill the baby boys. But uh, they are probably still in Bethlehem. Which is five or six miles from Jerusalem. So they're going to take Jesus to dedicate him. So let's read from chapter 2. I think it's going to be on the screen. Yes, thank you. So on the eighth day when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. So I want to stop right there just for a second. So on the eighth day, that was part of the law of Moses going back to the Old Testament. You know, that's where Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all that is in there. What the Jews call the Torah and all that law of Moses was there. So they, they practiced that on the eighth day. But interestingly enough, it was probably Joseph that took Jesus to get circumcised because Mary could not go to the temple because she had to wait a certain number of days for her purification after childbirth according to the law. So Joseph probably had to take Jesus to have him circumcised by himself because she couldn't come to the temple yet. So we know that. And then it gets into the next thing. When it came time for the purification rites required by the law. And notice how many times Luke wants us to know that Mary and Joseph understand the requirements of the law and are following them exactly as they should. It says, uh, as the, the rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. 
and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And the child's mother and uh, father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul And there was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Phineal in the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Mary and When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of their Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. Now again, I ask, you know, did Mary and Joseph expect something special to happen that day when they took Jesus into that temple to be dedicated? I would think they're going, what's next? You know, what what mysterious, amazing thing is God going to do? And maybe they had watched... Um, babies being brought into the temple many times, and they're, and they're, they were young, but they had probably seen it. And uh, you probably remember, when you have your, your first uh, baby, a lot of times people in public will stop you, especially older people will stop you. You go, oh, let me see your baby. Oh, she's so beautiful. Oh, he's so beautiful. I know you're so excited for being parents. And, and you know, you kind of take this pride. You, know, you understand what that's like. I, I imagine that's kind of what it was like with these two senior citizens that Mary and Joseph encountered that day. But I mean, their lives to this point have been one amazing thing after another. Hearing about that she was going to carry Jesus. Knowing that she was going to be pregnant as a virgin. How was that going to happen? But then to see that it actually did happen just as God had said. Having complete strangers show up the night of the birth and say, Hey, we were out watching our sheep and a heavenly host of angels said you were over here and that we should come see. That's why we're here. Another amazing thing they weren't expecting. So yes, I would guess that they were anticipating something, maybe some more confirmations of what God had told them in all these visions and everything that had taken place. Well, it's been about 40 days since Jesus has been born, and they still have to, uh, they've still been in Bethlehem, like I said. Now they're going to Jerusalem to present Jesus. And uh, in Leviticus 12, it tells us about how a woman who's had a, a baby, has to, a male baby, has to wait 40 days. There's like seven days... After And then there's this 33 days of purification for a total of 40 days before she can come back to the temple and be purified. Interestingly enough, for a girl, it was 80 days. I don't understand all those laws. That just was part of the deal. So they knew this. And it's interesting to me that Mary and Joseph 
are not going, why do we need to do all this? This is the Son of God. Isn't He exempt from all of that? Does He really need to be circumcised? Does He really need to be dedicated? I mean, we all know that God has said, this is my Son who's come to save the world. So why do we need to do all this? They didn't argue with any of that. They just said God's Word. And this is stuff that was said, y'all, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, but has been brought forward all the way. They have practiced this in their families, and they're being faithful to this. Just because Jesus is a special baby doesn't mean we're going to try to get around God's law. They were faithful to it. And I think that's very interesting. Um, and it said they also would offer a burnt offering, a lamb, as a, and a sin offering, which would be a pigeon. And the Scripture tells us in Leviticus 12, if you can't afford the lamb, then you can also do a pigeon for that offering as well. So they offered, as Luke tells us, two pigeons, which means they were economically kind of poor and they couldn't afford a lamb, so they did the two pigeons. But they would also offer a sum of five shekels of silver, symbolically buying back their son from God. Now think about that. So you need to offer to God five shekels of silver to redeem the Redeemer. Does that seem odd to y'all? Why does the Redeemer, Jesus, the Savior of the world, need to be redeemed? They're going through the same thing they've seen done at baby dedications, but I thought that was very interesting. So I'm going to kind of back up with some kind of nerdy uh, stuff about the background on this, if y'all don't mind for a minute, okay? Um, and it comes from um, Numbers, Leviticus and Numbers. If you ever have problems sleeping at night, just break open Leviticus or Numbers. And the, the specifics of the law, I promise it might put you to sleep because it's kind of crazy. But it's very interesting as well. All right, so I know this morning it's the fifth Sunday, and on the fifth Sunday we have our elementary school kids in here. So if you're an elementary school kid here this morning, would you raise your hand? I want to see you this morning. Just wave at me. I see some of y'all out there this morning. Good, good. All right. So I want to ask y'all a question. Do y'all remember when Moses was in the Old Testament, right? And Moses went to Pharaoh and he said, let my people go. And Pharaoh, what did he say? No. That's right. I saw somebody shaking their head. No. He said no. And so God had to do how many plagues before he let the people go? Hold up your fingers for me. Just hold up ten fingers to let me know you're getting, you've been listening in Sunday school, all right? You've been listening to mom and dad, all right? So ten plagues. So the last plague was a very awful plague. And it was a, excuse me, it was a plague against the firstborn. And God said, tonight I'm going to go through and all the Egyptian firstborn sons will die tonight. And Israel, if you want your son to stay alive, you're going to take a lamb and you're going to slaughter it and you're going to take the, the blood from that lamb and you're going to paint it on your doorposts, the tops and the sides. And that night, if that's been done, then I will pass over your house and the firstborn son will not die. That was the beginning of this new um, thing called the Passover for, for the, the Jewish. And they still celebrated all the way. Mary and Joseph knew about this. So in that process, the Lord says, after he passed over and, and Pharaoh did lose his son, and that's when Pharaoh finally says, okay, just take these people. He was you know, so grief-stricken, just take them and get out of here. But that started what was called the Passover. And those sons, having been saved by God's hand, were obligated to be dedicated to God for his service as full-time priests and servants. But later, as we read about, as God's plan unfolded and He revealed more of that for Israel, God designated a whole tribe. Instead of those first sons, He dedicated a whole tribe called the Levites. And I want to read that. I think we have that on num in Numbers 8. I'm going to read this. In this way, you are to set the Levites apart from the other Israelites, and the Levites will be mine. After you have purified the Levites and presented them as a wave offering, they are to come to do their work at the tent of meeting. 
They are, uh, they are the Israelites who are to be given holy to me. I have taken them as my own in place of the firstborn and the first male offspring from every Israelite woman. Every firstborn male in Israel, whether human or animal, is mine. And when I struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, I set them apart for myself. And I have taken the Levites in place of all the firstborn sons in Israel. So that's kind of where that came from. And that might seem kind of crazy to us. We don't necessarily understand that. But that was very serious. God took everything that happened in history and, and related it, it back to Him. So then we're going to look at Numbers 18, verses 14 through 16. Repeating the log. And everything in Israel that is devoted to the Lord is yours. The first offspring of every room, both human and animal, is offered to the Lord as yours. But you must redeem every firstborn son and every firstborn male of unclean animals. And when they, were, when they are a month old, you must redeem them at the redemption price set at five shekels of silver according to the sanctuary shekel, which weighs 20 garas. Okay, now that may be going, oh, what? You know? But you saw the five shekels. As specific as that was, hundreds of years ago, Mary and Joseph were going that day to do that very thing with Jesus. And it does not seem to make sense to me as a human that why is the Redeemer, again as I said, needing to be redeemed? But do you remember when Jesus first started in His ministry and He went down to the Jordan River where John the Baptist was baptizing people? You all remember that? Okay? And He walked up to John and says, I'm here to be baptized. And John's like, What? I don't even, I'm not even worthy to lace up your sandals or untie your sandals. What in the world? You need to be baptizing me. And Jesus said, we need to do this to fulfill all righteousness. So let's go ahead and do what God's called me to do. And so we did it. And I think this thing about redeeming the redeemed is the same kind of thing. Jesus says, I as a human am not above what God has called us to do. And at the very first of my life, I want everything to be what God's called me. I want everybody seeing that everything that has been practiced, just like my Father God has laid out, and I want that to be clearly seen. And I'm amazed at how Mary and Joseph didn't balk at that at all. They did exactly what they were supposed to do. So I think about in the middle of going to that process, and if that's completely muddy to you now, I apologize. All right, But it's not, not a huge deal. But it is interesting to me how that all came about. But in the middle of bringing the baby, you might understand that, that bringing the baby to be, um, uh, to be dedicated, they run into these two senior adults. And you're thinking, what are these people doing? Are they always there? It sounds like you know um, Anna was always there. But Simeon walks up to them, and he takes the baby in his arms. And I don't know how you all feel about that, a stranger taking your baby in their, ar- in their arms. You might go, oh, you know, danger stranger. You know, what are you doing? Don't touch my baby. You know, have you had the flu? Have you had your flu shot? I mean, those are the kind of things we think about. But there's also been times when we see an older person that just makes a big fuss over our kid, and, you know, you might even say, would you like to hold him? And, and that does this sense of pride for us going, oh. And, and so Simeon's probably sitting there, and he's talking about, I know who this baby is. And the interesting thing about Simeon, it says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And consolation means the comfort. The comfort that comes from knowing that Although everything around me is not right, I know there's something better coming. And I've been looking for that through my whole life. I know that we're under the the thumb of Rome here as Israelites. I know this isn't the way things are supposed to be, but I know that God has promised something better, and I'm looking for that. It said He was filled with the Holy Spirit. It said the Holy Spirit was upon Him. And for whatever reason that day, He was prompted by the Holy Spirit. That couple right there with the baby, that's the Savior. And Simeon went over there and he said, I want to hold your baby. And he held that baby in his arms. And Jesus, like I said, is about a month and a half old now. 
and he says, this child is destined. Now, he's probably told him how beautiful the baby was. Maybe they shared with him, like, you're just confirming for us what happened. Let me tell you what happened at his birth. We, we were in this stable in Bethlehem. And the shepherds came, and they all told us what God said. And we've had dreams, and, and, and we've had angels come to us. This whole thing is confirmed. And so you're right, I mean, how did you know? I'm sure there was some kind of conversation like that. So they're probably beaming with pride that you know, all this is confirming that this is the Savior of the world. But then all of a sudden, Simeon says these things that are very disturbing, that are kind of scary and mysterious. He says, this baby is destined to cause the rising and falling of many in Israel. This baby is to be a sign that is spoken against. The thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And then he looks at Mary and says, and a sword will pierce your heart. Mary's probably like, okay, all that great stuff about Jesus I like, but what? I don't really want to hear that, but this is part of what Jesus is in store for. So how do you respond to that old man holding your baby that tells you stuff like that? Are you crazy, old man? Give me my baby back. I don't want to hear that. All that about him being beautiful and the Savior, that's great, but I don't want to hear things about piercing my heart and a sign that will be spoken against and hearts being revealed. But let's think about it, y'all. Isn't that exactly what Jesus did? Jesus did cause the rising and falling of many in Israel, didn't He? He caused people to have this, there was this tension. Is He really the Savior? He has the signs, He has the teaching of someone from God, but I just can't get past that, how can somebody born in a stable and from Nazareth be the Savior of the world? That's not how God's going to save the world, is it? Be a sign that is spoken against. The religious leaders were saying, yes, he does signs, but he's doing them out of the power of Satan. You remember that? He drives out demons in the name of, of, of Satan. And Jesus goes, seriously? How do you even do that? It doesn't even make sense. And he, had, he spoke against, he was spoke against every time he did something. It really wasn't from God. The thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. How many times did Jesus say to the religious leaders, I know what's in your hearts. I know what you're thinking. He was teaching and he knew in their hearts what they were thinking. Why are you thinking like that? You're supposed to be Israel's teachers. You're supposed to bring people to God and you're taking people away from God because your hearts are not right. And maybe they could have dealt with some of that. Well, yeah, he's going to be a controversial figure. But when Mary heard a sword that will pierce your heart, how do you respond to that? What did that mean, Mary? And I wonder, how many times, how many times did Mary, as Jesus grow, grew up, how many times did she think back and go, remember what Simeon said about piercing my heart? Is this one of those moments? And I think about, at the end of this chapter too, you look about when Jesus was 12 years old. Y'all might remember this story. When Jesus was 12, Luke tells about him going to the temple for, for Passover, and they lost Jesus. Okay, I mean, how do you, you lose the Son of God? Not good, not starting off good, Mary and Joseph. And so when they looked for two days, Luke tells us, they looked for two days and they finally went back to the temple in Jerusalem and there was Jesus talking with the religious leaders and like he's in this conversation deep and they're all fascinated by what this 12-year-old knows about God. And they come in and go, Jesus, what, where have you been? Have you not known we've been worried sick looking all over the place for two days? And Jesus says... You're the ones that left without getting me. Didn't you know I'd be in my father's house about my father's business? And when I first heard that when I was younger, I was like, man, Jesus was being disrespectful. 
man, his mom probably wanted to slap him after two days of looking for him. But he wasn't sinning. He was just telling the truth. Y'all are the ones that left Jerusalem without checking if I was with you. I was in there doing what I was called to do. I am the Messiah, remember? But I know that probably pierced her heart and went, she already probably felt bad that we left Jesus. But that probably pierced her heart that day. Wow, he is about his father's business, even at 12. Maybe at the first miracle in, in Cain of Galilee when he was, there was a wedding going on and Jesus was there and they, were, they ran out of wine. Do you remember this? And Jesus' mother was there and she goes to Jesus, goes, Jesus, do something about this. They're out of wine. And Jesus goes, what, why are you bothering me, woman? My time has not yet come. And again, I go, man, Jesus being disrespectful to mom. But he wasn't. He was saying, this is not my time. What are you doing? Just do whatever he says, Mary said. And then he filled up the wine, the best wine. And again, I bet she thought about what, what Simeon said. A sword will pierce your heart. What about when Jesus was teaching one day and a group of people came up and said, Hey, Jesus, your mom's outside and your brothers and your sisters are outside and they want to talk to you. And Jesus, in the middle of teaching, in front of the whole crowd said, Who is my mother and who are my brothers and my sisters? Whoever does the will of my father. And he looks out at the crowd and says, Those are my mother and my brother's and my sisters. And again, I thought, how oh, disrespectful can you be to your mom? Do you think her heart was pierced that day? And it doesn't necessarily mean a piercing that I think of in human terms is a bad thing, but again, it gave that jolt. Remember what Simeon said. He's going to say things. He's going to do things. He's going to be the person that's going to make everybody's heart, especially yours, Mary, go, what? Maybe him seeing Jesus talk to the religious leaders and call them out. Can you imagine? Probably, like, Jesus, stop. He was my rabbi when I was growing up. Stop. Maybe she was embarrassed, and again, she might have felt that piercing of her heart that Simeon was talking about. And I don't know, I'm simply speculating here, y'all, but I know from time to time that had to come up, and she had to, thought, had to have thought about that again. And especially when she saw him beaten. Especially when she saw him get nailed to that cross. Especially when they, she saw him, and he said, John... Take care of my mother, and mother, take care of John. I'm sure, without a shadow of a doubt, that Mary's heart was pierced when she saw that. When she saw that Roman soldier come and stick that spear in his side for the final check to make sure Jesus would death, do you think her heart was not pierced then? Only Mary can answer that. But even in the midst of that darkness, she saw Jesus rise again, didn't she? She touched him. She saw him. She hugged her son again. And though her heart was pierced, she knew the hope. She knew the consolation of Israel. The consolation of the whole world had come about through Jesus. So when Simeon said all this, yeah, it had to be disturbing, but it was just a prophecy of what was to come for this child. And Anna seems to be of the same character as Simeon. She also confirms who this child is, what God is doing, and why this baby was born to you, Mary and Joseph. And it said she was consistent in her worship, in her prayers, and her fasting. She never left the temple. And I go, what? How did she never leave the temple? Did she live there? And actually some commentator said there was a possibility that she lived very, very close to the temple or there were some rooms inside the temple that sometimes people lived in. And she possibly actually lived there. But both Simeon and both Anna were looking for the Savior coming. They were looking for that. It was more confirmation to them. They were truly seeking first God's kingdom and God's righteousness. And notice they're not mad. They're like, 
Why did you wait so long? We're about to die. We wanted to see this. They're not mad about this. They're just so thankful that because they've been seeking God and seeking this Savior coming into the world, they said, He's here now. We've seen it. We're not going to get to see Him teach. We're not going to get to see Him walk on water. We're not going to get to see Him touch lepers and heal them. But we know He's here now. God has confirmed that and we can die in peace knowing. And I think about that. That kind of faith. The faith and obedience that both those two senior adults had. More confirmation. Using seemingly ordinary, not seemingly extraordinary people to confirm who God was and what He was doing in the, in the, in the earth. In the world, And salvation was not only for the glory of Israel, as Simeon said, but he said it was for the Gentiles. They are included, and this probably was shocking to maybe Mary and Joseph. Wow, it's for the whole world. So what do we take away from this account? You may say, Craig, all that stuff about the redeeming and the pigeons and all that Old Testament, I don't quite understand all that, but do you realize that this baby was special? He came to redeem you and me. And I, this isn't in my notes, But when we were singing that last song, and that song, the reckless, overwhelming love of God. It's a great song, isn't it? There's a lot of good words in it. And I've heard people a lot of times say, that song bothers me because God's love is not reckless. And I go, I know what you mean. But then again, I think Jesus' love was reckless. He goes up to a leper that everybody else will not even be around and touches him. And I bet his mom's going, don't, don't, don't touch him, Jesus! Oh, he touched him. He's going to get leprosy now. And Jesus heals the man. His leprosy's gone. Jesus never gets leprosy. Reckless going into the temple and overturning the tables and calling the religious leaders broods of vipers. That's reckless. What are you doing, Jesus? Don't do that. Jesus didn't care because he needed to show people who God really was. And sometimes it takes reckless things. And when the Son of God does reckless things, they're much different than when I do reckless things. Is that not true? Very different. But what do we take away from this account? The faith and obedience of Joseph and Mary, certainly we do. They followed that hundreds of year old laws even in the face of of the Messiah being born to them. The faith and hope of Simeon and Anna, who seem that it's never too late. They understand it's never too late for God to minister to me and to speak to me, no matter how old I get. And it's never too late for God to use me to minister to other people. Never too late. God can use me no matter where I am to do that. And though we don't practice the same traditions, the same responsibilities of the law of Moses given by God. Aren't y'all glad? Y'all don't have to bring a bunch of animals in here this morning. Imagine the smell. Uh, be still. Oh, almost there. You know, coming up here and we have to cut, slice, and dice and put them on the altar. And I'm not making fun of that stuff. I'm just saying, can you imagine what that kind of life was like? We don't have to do that anymore because once and for all. But as, as Mary and Joseph were faithful to that old covenant, we ought to be faithful to the new covenant. And Jesus taught us a lot of things, didn't He, while He was here that were part of that new covenant. The early church we read about in Acts practiced a lot of things that we can practice as part of that new covenant. And we need to see consistently to be looking for the consolation of the whole world. Not just of Israel, but the whole world. 
Not just my friends and family that I want to come to the Lord, but the whole world, the people that I'm maddest at, the people that make me the angriest, my enemies. I need to be consistently saying, God, I want the whole world to know you. Do we understand that the grace of Christ is truly for everybody? Are we allowing the presence of the Holy Spirit to reveal things to us and move us where God wants to do something? That's what I'm blown away by Simeon. He was so in tune. Says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had told him, you won't die before you see the Savior. And he was listening to God. That couple right there, go talk to them. That's the baby Jesus. He went over there. And so I think about, are we allowing the presence of the Holy Spirit to speak to you and to me? In, in our everyday lives, I want you to go sit over there to that kid that's eating lunch by himself. Me? Yes, you. I want you to talk to that guy in the cubicle. Me? Yes, you. I want you to be nice to this lady that's checking you out on Christmas Day at Walmart and she's not happy she's having to work on Christmas Day. Yes, I want you to be in tune with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell a story, and I did not ask the people if I could use this story, so I'm not going to tell you the names. But this is a great story about what I'm talking about, how God uses people. People in the church recently shared this awesome story about their son. They're in the grocery store, and you got your junk in your buggy, you know, and you're doing it. And so this young man, I don't know exactly, younger, and he looks over at this other lady who does not look very friendly. And he looks into her buggy and says, Oh, I see you got this, 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 and this, and whatever. And he starts just carrying on a conversation. And the mom's going, Oh, she's not really wanting to talk. You know, she's trying to get him to come back. Yeah, I see you got that. We love that. I love that kind of food, whatever. And they're carrying on. And, he's, and she just does not look happy. And she's kind of giving a look to the mom like, Why don't you get your son and bring him over to you and stop this? And finally he said to her, You know what? I'm going to give you a hug. And he just gave her a hug. So I thought you need a hug. And then the mom said, you've raised that boy right. See, even at a young age, when we're open to God's Spirit, He can do something when we sense that people have needs and hurts. Even in the midst of darkness or grumpiness or whatever it is, God can do something amazing through that, can He? And God wants to do that through us. So are we allowing the presence of the Spirit to reveal things to us? And will you allow God to work with you in everyday moments to confirm His presence, even when it's difficult? I went to the hospital last night to see a lady who's lost almost all her hair, and she's going through cancer treatments, and I'm going, mmm. You know what I mean when you say, mmm? I don't even know what to say. Groans. I know this lady, I've known her for a long time, and I see her suffering, and I'm just going, God, I know you have come into the world to save the world, and I know she's saved, and I know she has a faith, but mm, that's hard to look at. But I know your presence is here, and she was so nice asking me, as she can't, she's having trouble breathing, she's going through these treatments, she's asking me, how was Christmas, how are your kids? And I'm just going, oh my gosh. God is confirming that He is still in her life even in the midst of that suffering that I don't have a clue about. I'm just watching it. But He is in her life and He confirmed for me that He's real. And I wish He would stop and take away her pain and take away her cancer right now as any of us would. And I don't know that He will, but I pray for that. But I still know God was real in her life and He can be real in our life even in the midst of the darkness. And that's what the story of Christmas is all about. In the midst of darkness, God confirms in mysterious ways, and through ordinary people, that He is real, and that He hears us, and that He wants us 
to be a part of His kingdom. So this morning we offer an invitation. Maybe you hear about this and you say, I want that. I want God to know me and know the struggles I'm going through and love me anyway. He does. He has. He can't get back down off that cross. He can't come back out of that tomb. He has died and risen for you and for me and for every person in the world and you are saved and sealed. You need to accept that and live like it. And if you need to do that today, we're going to offer that invitation. Or if you're looking for a church that says, we believe in that saving, we believe in that sealing, and we believe in God calling you to minister to people in ordinary ways every day in your life. And if you want to join us in doing that, we'd love to have you come.